Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. I pray that you would speak to us uh, through this challenging text and lead us into your truth. I pray that we might not just seek information, but that we might be formed into the pattern, the example of Christ Jesus. So would your spirit be at work in this place, we pray in your name. Amen. So before I think we can hear this text, even engage this text, I think we need to just name the question that I think is on a lot of our hearts today. Let's engage the elephant in the room, if you will. Uh, and I think the question that in- initially emerges for us is why does Peter not come out and condemn slavery? Is the Bible here endorsing slavery? Does God not care about abuse? Does Scripture endorse the morally reprehensible act of owning people as property? And if so, can I trust a God like that and a religion that promotes that? Unfortunately, this text has a history of being misused to reinforce the horrible reality of slavery in our world. And so we need to engage this and just get this out on the table. And I want to begin by saying very clearly that I am convinced that the scriptures teach and lead us towards the abolition of slavery. That both the Old and the New Testament set a trajectory towards the freedom of those who are oppressed. And that as we take these teachings seriously, we should be on the forefront of seeking to liberate those who are oppressed, to overturn these structures that leave people in places of abuse. We see this from the very beginning of Scripture in Exodus, where the cries of the Israelites who are enslaved by the Egyptians enters the ears of God. He says, I hear your cries, and with an outstretched harm, I am going to deliver you from Egypt. We see this in the heart of Jesus. The very first sermon he preaches in the Gospel of Luke He quotes from Isaiah chapter 61, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to bring good news to the oppressed, to set free the prisoner. This is the trajectory that we are given in Scripture. Paul speaks to this in Galatians 3, where he says, There is now neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, for you are one in Christ. We encounter in the scriptures this unprecedented idea that there is now equality between those who are oppressed, between slave and free. I believe even Peter here is calling it out as injustice in this text. His heart is for the slaves. He's speaking to them as equals in the Christian faith, calling them to be part of this mission in the world, which raises this question for us. Why then does he not call this out explicitly in our text? Here's the situation that I think we need to engage today and understand in this text. I I believe Peter is realizing that in this context, slavery for the foreseeable future is not going anywhere. There had been many attempts at violent uprisings against the institution of slavery in the ancient world, and they all all failed. 
And, and so Peter uh, is recognizing that for the foreseeable future, these people are not going to be able to move in a healthy direction, move into a place of freedom. One writer said that overturning slavery in the ancient world would be like turning off the electrical grid in America. It was so intertwined in the economy that it seemed insurmountable. John Wesley once coined the phrase complicated wickedness to talk about how sin just uh, works itself into the structures of society in really complex, intermingled ways. And that's the reality that, that Peter is engaging. What he is speaking to is how do we bear up under the pain of unjust suffering when for the foreseeable future there is no hope on the horizon? This minority group of aliens and exiles, as they are described, have no power, no social capacity to overturn these structures. And so in light of that, how do we endure? And that's the question I want to engage in our text today. How do we endure? And how do we come alongside others who are enduring pain in unjust circumstances? Indeed, this is the situation of slaves in the ancient world. It was a, a terrible existence. Slaves had no capacity to make decisions for themselves. They were vulnerable to the whims and moods of their masters. They couldn't control the hours they worked, where they lived, what they did. You could just imagine that reality. They were on call 24-7. In the ancient world, they were considered like property, and so it was not uncommon to see slaves openly beating, or openly being beaten by their masters in public. Aristotle, uh, in his Ethics in the Ancient World, literally says that slaves could not be the victims of injustice because they were mere property. This is the reality of the ancient world, this brutal reality, and Peter sees the harshness the injustice, and he speaks into that place. This is our context today as well, is it not? We look out on a world where many people are trying to bear up under the pain of unjust circumstances. Slavery is not an ancient problem alone. It is a modern problem. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are upwards of 40 million people in our world today who are enslaved. Around 25 million are in forced labor situations, another 15, 16 million are in forced marriages. One in four of those slaves are children. And the problem is that we just don't see it, which I think makes that complicated wickedness uh, fester and flourish even more so. I had an experience uh, down in Longview where this hit kind of close to home for me. I realized that these statistics are real people and that these realities are happening right under our noses in our own communities. My friend was a social worker that was working in an anti-trafficking program and told me about all the hot spots about where trafficking was happening in Longview. And just hearing about these these places, places where I walked, it brought it very close to home. It was so troubling. The Target bathroom just off of exit 39 in Callitz County is one of 
these premier hotspots where women are trafficked. He said, these are places we walk. This is happening right under our noses. And I think we just need to name that today. As people who follow a Messiah who came to set the oppressed free, we need to hear these voices, these hidden voices that are suppressed. The problem is that it does fly under the radar. It's not out in the open. And the reality is in the supply chains of a global economy, we don't even know the forced labor behind many of the things we might even be using. There's a website called slaveryfootprint.org where you can type in uh, where you live, your consumption habits, some of the products that you rely on, and it gives you an estimate of the, a number of slave labor that might be behind some of the things we just unknowingly are a part of. I think we need to just bring that into the light as Christians who follow a God of liberation. This is our context in our world corporately. I also want to just engage the fact that some of you may be able to connect with this experience of having to bear up under the pain of unjust circumstances. Now, on the one hand, I I want to be cautious in, in reading ourselves into the story because I don't want to trivialize the intensity of those who are enslaved and somehow see those on equal footing. But I think it is within the scope of this text to engage those experiences where we maybe feel trapped in hard circumstances, unjust circumstances. And I just want to acknowledge in the room today or those listening that some of us maybe connect with this description as we're navigating abuse, as we're navigating unfair and unjust working situations, as we're navigating situations where we feel trapped and life feels unfair and for the foreseeable future, it doesn't seem like there is any freedom or hope or liberation on the horizon. That is what Peter is speaking to, and I want to engage that. How can we bear up under the pain of unjust circumstances? How might that work itself into our lives. There's a couple of things I, I want to speak to as we seek to engage in justice as Christians, and there's a couple of levels of this. I just realized my clicker's down here, and I want to pull up a quote, so I'm just going to pull this up here. Um, the first thing I just, I'm going to skip ahead a couple things here. I, I want to engage the fact that one of the ways that we can... Um, seek to bear up under the pain of unjust circumstances, to, to engage those, engage a world marked by suffering, is, first of all, to follow the trajectory of Scripture. Now, here's what I want to be careful about when applying this text, is that we may find ourselves in circumstances or situations where the setting is different than Peter's listeners, that there may be settings where we actually do have agency and privilege and power and ability to change circumstances for the good, and we would apply this text wrongly by saying, just submit to abuse, even if you might be able to do something about it. Right? Remember, the broader trajectory of Scripture is calling us to be people of liberation, to work towards shalom in a broken world. And so when we can do that, let us follow that path. Let us live into the trajectory set by Scripture. We may be able to follow that trajectory further than Peter could as a minority religion in a place where slavery was so embedded in the culture. 
And so this is a, a word from Peter Jensen, and he's speaking to preachers, and he says this. When we address our people today in 21st century America, we address few in our pews who are aliens and exiles. We preach to people who have rights in our society, who therefore have the ability to protest unjust treatment through the courts and through the halls of political power. Let us not proclaim a false theology of submission based on a very different context from the pages of 1 Peter. This indeed would be to preach law instead of gospel. Our contemporary hearers are not powerless to work for a more just world. So that's a mouthful. I just want to break this down again and just clarify that when there is capacity to confront injustice and and to free people from circumstances that cause pain, that we ought to do that. One of the reasons this text has been misused is it was applied in the wrong context, and people use this to justify and continue to keep people in harsh circumstances. We follow a different trajectory. But the reality is that we live in a, in a world where injustice persists. And there are circumstances where for the foreseeable future, we have to endure. And there isn't a fully realized uh, reality of freedom and liberation. And so I want to engage that space. What do we do when we are in those places where for the foreseeable future, we have to bear the pain of unjust suffering? And how do we come alongside others in those places? And, and, and what I want to notice, and what I think Peter is calling us to, is to fix our eyes upon Christ. When we are in those places, to look upon Christ, because as we are conscious of God, we discover a deeper hope and a deeper response to the injustices that we face in this world. The key passage I want us to notice is in in chapter 2, verse 19, where Peter writes this, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, and then notice this phrase, because he is conscious of God. Because he is conscious of God. There's something about looking to Christ that speaks into the pain we encounter, the injustice we face. And I want to notice what we see when we are conscious of God, what we discover in these places of pain. There's three things I want to just briefly notice in our passage about what we look to Jesus for in this text. And the first thing we see when we are conscious of God in these circumstances is a God who stands in solidarity with us in our suffering, in our pain. A God who stands in solidarity. Our text says that Christ also suffered for you. There's a God who is... One who has stepped into this broken world, experienced injustice himself, has gone to great lengths to try and disarm these powers. It's not this remote God who is distant, but a God who, who suffers with us. And while that doesn't take away all the pain or the, the circumstances, there is hope in the solidarity of God, I believe. The writer of Hebrews says this, that we do not have a high priest, this is speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We call upon a God who also suffered, 
deep injustice, a God who empathizes with our pain. The text ends with this image of God as the shepherd. It echoes that Psalm 23 passage that, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. We are not alone in that. There is power, friends, in, in solidarity. That's why many different types of support groups have learned that when we come together with people who face common struggles, common temptations, common trauma, there is hope, there is help, there is, there is some relief and solidarity. God is with us in our pain. We look to God also, I believe, for a pattern for how we might confront evil. As we look to the example of Jesus, I think we are given some wisdom as to how we face injustice. This is what our text goes on to say, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example or a pattern that you should follow in his steps. This word for pattern is uh, an educational term for kids that would have a stencil that they would trace and learn how to how to write words, and this idea that we have this stencil, this pattern by which we can be reshaped, reformed in our response to an unjust world. We have been shaped in a, a different pattern, I believe, culturally. The, the normal pattern that is reinforced in all the movies we watch and all, all these different dynamics in culture is a pattern of retaliation. If I can just defeat my enemy... If I'm stronger and can overpower them, then I'll be liberated. And to be sure, while there is a place for self-defense and all, all those sorts of dynamics, what Jesus is showing us is that that's ultimately not how we disarm power. That's ultimately not how we overcome injustice in our world. We have a different pattern that is given to us. We have this example of a God who in the face of insults and pain confounded us all by not retaliating but by forgiving and by dying for his enemies and what's so countercultural? what needs to be reformed and repatterned in our life is this idea that somehow in the pattern of christ we participate in the disarming of power james brian smith in one of his books coins this phrase kingdom jujitsu I don't know if there's any martial arts people in here, but uh, he's reflecting on that passage where Jesus says, you know, if someone slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek. And we're like, what are you talking about? Like, we know that passage, but I think we're still, like, really confused by it. If someone steals, give them the other cloak. Walk the other mile with them. The art of jujitsu actually means the way of yielding. It's a very interesting concept of responding to violence. I don't know anything about this personally, but I've just read about it. I do not know how to do this. But the idea of jujitsu is that we disarm the attack by working against the energy. And James Ryan Smith says, this is kind of the way of Christ to practice this kingdom of God, jujitsu, where we respond with nonviolence and we disarm the powers through this intelligent, gracious, countercultural response to violence. That as Paul says, we overcome evil with good. And I think Peter is speaking to that in our text, this idea that Jesus disarms these powers somehow through, through love. How does that work? 
I think we have a, a very powerful example in our country in the way that Martin Luther King Jr. sought to work towards the, the overturning of injustice through a very explicit and distinct nonviolent ethic. But there was something about the nonviolent response that actually exposed the evil that was being wrought on those who were being oppressed and, and slowly had a disarming effect versus this retaliation effect. It's a, this iconic image from a lunch table at a diner in Greensboro, North Carolina, where civil rights activists sat where they were told they were not supposed to be sat and just bared up under the pain of unjust suffering as people poured ketchup and mustard and sugar packets and yelled at them and were evil towards them. This is just this profound example of this disarming call to nonviolence. Something I think we need to really wrestle with in our own hearts. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What I notice in the, the book of 1 Peter is that the goal Peter gives these who are facing injustice is not the defeat of their enemies, but the transformation and redemption of their enemies. He doesn't want to just temporarily squash those who are harsh. He wants to turn their hearts. Imagine that. Turn their hearts to God. Back in verse 12, we didn't read the first part of our text. Live such good lives among the pagans. He's speaking to all these people that are being persecuted to not respond with violence. Live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The goal for Peter is to turn the hearts of the oppressors towards God. To do this deeper transformative work towards our enemies. As we look to God, as we are conscious of God, we see a new pattern, a new response to injustice. The last thing, and I'll end here, is that as we are conscious of God, we discover a deeper justice that is at work. A deeper justice beyond the current pain, the current injustice. And so, Peter says in our text, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and notice this part, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus' capacity to bear up under the pain of unjust suffering was that he trusted himself to a bigger story, a bigger reality, a deeper justice beyond these current trials. I think part of the, the response to pain is to pan out and see a bigger story, that these current trials will not be the end of the stories. The hope of Scripture is that those who seem like they are winning and dominating, those who are a part of such deep evil in this world will face justice. And that there is a God who is beyond and leading us beyond these temporary trials into an eternal hope. And perhaps that might help us bear up and endure 
I think that's what we see in the book of Revelation, this book written to people facing deep persecution, is that the scriptures call us to pan out, see this wider angle lens of a bigger story, that these temporary trials are not the whole story, but that evil will be overcome by the slain lamb. And that is our hope. This week I was uh, reading an essay on the worship life of American slaves in the late uh, 19th century, and that uh, what their worship experience was like, and often they had secret meetings where they could get away and in, in secrecy, support one another, and there is a journal found by and eventually a freed slave named Peter Randolph, and he talked about what they did during these secret meetings. They would pray, they would sing hymns that would reorient their, their perspective into a deeper story. They would lament together, and after they would lament, this was the refrain that his prayer group would say, and say, thank God I shall not live here always. What he was doing, what they were doing, was trying to pan out into a bigger story, saying, well, for the foreseeable future, we endure this. This will not be the end of the story. Thank God I will not be living here always. And I want to speak into those of us who are grieving a world that just seems where violence is winning and where evil is dominating. Thank God we will not live in that space forever. And for those of you who come today personally feeling stuck and trapped in unjust, unfair circumstances, thank God you will not live in that forever. Could we hold on to that deeper hope that we trust in a God whose kingdom, whose power and glory will endure forever. Amen.